Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, November 9th. In today's news, the U.S. will surpass 10 million confirmed COVID cases later today. While most Americans agonized over the election results, others fought for their lives. And President-elect Biden announces his coronavirus task force. But first, the big idea. The administrator of the General Services Administration, a low-profile agency in charge of federal buildings, has a little-known role when a new president is elected. To sign paperwork, officially turning over millions of dollars, as well as give access to government officials, office space and agencies, and equipment authorized for the taxpayer-funded transition teams of the winner. But GSA Administrator Emily Murphy, a Trump appointee, refuses to sign such a letter, and President Trump himself refuses to concede. And the Trump administration, in keeping with the president's failure to concede, has no immediate plans to sign such a letter. This could lead to the first transition delay in modern history, except for in 2000, when the Supreme Court decided a recount dispute between Al Gore and George W. Bush in December. Pam Pennington, a spokeswoman for GSA, said in an email that, quote, an ascertainment has not yet been made. Lisa Ryan, Jonathan O'Connell, and Josh Dossie report that this statement leaves experts and veterans of past transitions to wonder when the White House expects the handoff from one administration to the next to begin. Is it when the president has exhausted all of his legal avenues to fight the results, or when the formal vote of the Electoral College happens on December 14th, or sometime after that? There are 73 days between now and President-elect Joe Biden's inauguration on January 20th. In a call with other administration officials, Mary Gilbert, the head of the presidential transition team at the GSA, told colleagues that the agency is in a, quote, holding pattern and that they should under no circumstances allow people from Biden's landing teams inside. Inside sources say that this delay has already gummed up vital discussions on critical issues, including plans to distribute a possible coronavirus vaccine. Until they get this letter, Transition officials from Biden's team cannot begin working with the Office of Government Ethics to process financial disclosure forms and conflict of interest paperwork for their nominees. The decision has turned attention to Murphy, whose four-year tenure has been marked by controversy after controversy. Most don't get attention, but here are two that did. Trump's D.C. hotel lease was signed with the agency before the president took office but he retained ownership of his business and the hotel as president, allowing him to profit from the property while in office. Under Murphy, the GSA has repeatedly declined to provide documents as required by law to House Democrats, including monthly income statements that it receives from Trump's company. They've also refused to comply with subpoenas. Last year, the agency's own inspector general determined that GSA had improperly concealed vital records and ignored valid concerns in allowing Trump's company to keep the lease. Trump has also personally intervened in the most prominent real estate project in the GSA's entire portfolio, the plan to build a new FBI headquarters that would allow the Bureau out of a crumbling and insecure J. Edgar Hoover building. During his first year in office, Trump abruptly canceled a bipartisan plan to build a new state-of-the-art suburban headquarters for the FBI, that had been in the works for more than a decade. Trump canceled that project so that 
a competing hotel could not be built in place of the current Hoover building, which is at the site just down the street from his own hotel. It's shocking, but not surprising. Meanwhile, Trump continues to defy the results as the world and more and more Republicans move on. The president went to his Virginia golf course again on Sunday and continued to tweet conspiratorial allegations of voter fraud without providing one iota of evidence. Republican officials and allies are splintered between nudging him to accept defeat and encouraging him to fight on. The president appears fixated on doing the latter, using social media to cast doubt on the whole process, indeed democracy itself, rather than prepare for a peaceful transition of power. For the fifth consecutive day, Twitter flagged several of Trump's tweets as misinformation as he continued to make specious claims of vote rigging. Trump's instincts to fight are being fueled by his adult sons and Rudy Giuliani. Trump advisors said over the weekend that they expect him to possibly hold campaign-style rallies in the coming days as he hungers for affirmation after becoming a loser. Bob Costa and Phil Rucker report that inside the White House on Sunday, some advisors were encouraging the president to go out this week and speak directly to voters, whether it was with a rally or a speech of some kind. Several say Trump's in no mood to concede and that he keeps boasting to anyone who will listen repeatedly that he has, quote, the strongest base ever. Inside Trump's orbit, defiance remains the guiding principle. One senior Trump campaign official said over the weekend that online contributions have actually risen in recent days and that they've had some of their strongest fundraising days of the cycle. Several senior aides to the Trump campaign met at its Arlington headquarters on Saturday to discuss their options. Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who's been a constant presence at the headquarters in recent days, has encouraged the president to pursue every legal remedy he has to contest the results in a handful of swing states where Biden has been declared the winner or is leading. Kellyanne Conway, on the other hand, is among the advisors encouraging the president to pursue his options, but to carefully preserve his political brand as a Republican kingmaker with an eye toward potentially running again for the presidency in 2024. Others say the president himself probably realizes that he has limited options to turn things around and that at some point soon he will accept reality. Meanwhile, in a statement issued from Texas, George W. Bush congratulated Biden. The sole surviving former Republican president says that he called the president-elect and in the statement he described him as a good man who he often disagrees with, but he said that Biden has, quote, won his opportunity to lead and unify our country. And a chorus of U.S. business leaders put out statements on Sunday calling for Trump to peacefully transfer power. Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, the nation's largest bank by assets, said that now is the time for unity. Quote, we must respect the results of the U.S. presidential election. And as we have with every election, honor the decision of the voters and support a peaceful transition. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar as we start the week. Number one. The surge of coronavirus cases has taken on a snowball effect. It has taken only 10 days for our country to go from 9 million cases to 10 million cases. By comparison, it took more than three months for us to go from no cases to 1 million in late April. Our country's seven-day new case average was more than 100,000 for the first time on Sunday. In five of the past seven days, more than 1,000 of our fellow Americans died of COVID. On Sunday, more than 107,000 new cases were reported. More than half of states reported a new high for their seven-day average, including Maryland, for the first time since early May. 
The virus has been spreading fastest in the Great Lakes and Mountain West states, with North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wisconsin leading the way. For nearly a month, Ohio has set a new record high every single day. U.S. Surgeon General Jerome Adams said Sunday that half of the states are currently in the red zone or the orange zone for new outbreaks. And he added that it gets worse. We are on track to hit historic highs in daily hospitalizations this week in America. Last night, Utah Governor Gary Herbert, a Republican, declared a state of emergency and announced a mandatory statewide mask mandate starting immediately after months of strongly resisting such a measure. The state's hospitals are full, he said, adding, quote, we cannot afford to debate this issue any longer. And a new report says that nursing home cases of COVID have risen fourfold in the states that are surging. Meanwhile, thousands of screaming, cheering college students stormed the field after Notre Dame's football team defeated top-ranked Clemson on Saturday night. It was a jubilant moment, but it quickly drew criticism in light of the campus's recent surge in cases tied to that September 26th super spreader event in the Rose Garden of the White House at which the, pres- the school's president, Notre Dame's president, tested positive, as did the American president, after which. Number two, it was early in the morning last Tuesday when Trona Leaper's doctor told her she ought to check herself into the hospital to be treated for COVID. So before the polls opened at 7 a.m., Leaper, who works in accounting for a livestock feed company, called her polling place near the tiny town of Three Springs, Pennsylvania, and made arrangements so that she could vote safely. By late Wednesday night, Leaper's mind was no longer anywhere near the election. Her roommate in the COVID ward, an elderly woman, was having a difficult night. She knew she was close to the end. Leaper told our Ashley Fetters that she got up, went over, and held the woman's hand and prayed with her until the end. As TV audiences across the country watched Trump's lead in Pennsylvania dwindle, Leaper lay in her hospital bed, weeping. This past week, Americans spent what many described as an agonizing three and a half days anticipating an election result that took longer than usual to arrive. But at the same time, so many other Americans were dealing with an agony far more profound and prolonged. On election day, a Texas-based Pentecostal Christian congregation lost its 75-year-old co-founder pastor to covid On Thursday, a middle school in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, had to abruptly cancel students' in-person classes for the rest of the week because the coronavirus claimed a 47-year-old guidance counselor. Number three. Early this morning, Joe Biden announced the members of his coronavirus task force. It is a group made up entirely of doctors and health experts, signaling his intent and sincerity to seek a science-based approach to bring this raging pandemic under control. Biden's task force will have three co-chairs, Vivek Murthy, Surgeon General under Barack Obama, David Kessler, who was the FDA commissioner under George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton, Marcella Nunez-Smith, an associate dean at the Yale Medical School. Murthy and Kessler have been briefing Biden for months on the pandemic, and they're adding 10 other members to the task force as well, including two former Trump administration officials, including Rick Bright, the former head of the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, who after being demoted spoke out against Trump's approach to the pandemic, and Luciana Borio, who was the director for medical and biodefense preparedness on Trump's National Security Council until last year. Biden is inheriting the worst crisis since the Great Depression, and it's made vastly more difficult by Trump's refusal to concede and commit to a peaceful transition. 
the Trump administration has never put forward a national plan for testing, for contact tracing, or for resolving shortages in personal protective equipment that hospitals and healthcare facilities are experiencing yet again as the nation enters its third surge. In his victory speech on Saturday night, Biden addressed the challenges. He said, we won't be able to repair the economy, restore our vitality, or relish life's most precious moments, whether it's hugging a grandchild, celebrating a birthday, going to a wedding or a graduation, all the moments that matter most to us until we get this virus under control. And he promised that he will spare no effort or expense to make that happen. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, November 9th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.